Welcome to the Westside Personalized Podcast, where real educators share their classroom-tested, learner-approved personalization practices. I'm your host, Andrew Easton. I hope you enjoyed today's discussion and are able to find a few valuable takeaways from the podcast. And so without further ado, let's go to the pod. Well, the uh, Westside Personalized Podcast is excited to welcome Jim Rickabaugh to the pod today. Uh, so Jim, someone I've had an opportunity to get to know here, I would say for the better part of the last five years now, which is kind of yeah. crazy to frame it that so. way. Yeah. Uh, and uh, Jim has done everything from right on the topic of personalized learning to uh, really leading a uh, the movement out of Wisconsin, Wisconsin, and I can let you kind of explain some of this stuff too, Jim. I know oh, sure. but, yeah, sure. uh, that has, I think, really given rise to this as a, as a movement, certainly across the region and, and I think across the country. So uh, couldn't sing your praise any higher, Jim. So welcome <laughs> to the podcast here to start things off. Yeah, and yeah, do you want to give us a little bit of bio, kind of your your version of your history with this work and kind of how sure. it... Yeah, I'm I, happy to, Andrew. It's great to be here. Uh, as I think about it, I, what I really... What I've enjoyed most, what I've found, I think, most satisfying and fulfilling about this work is that it's work that's invitational to everyone. It's work where there are people who have more experience, who have different experiences, but it is a movement within which expertise is developing all the time. So there's not, there's not a keeper of all the knowledge, if you will. Sure. Um, and that every person who engages in the work with learners learns something. And this sort of movement particularly is one within which sharing knowledge helps everybody. Mm -hmm. Um, And so when we began the work back in 2010, it really was based on this idea that everybody can learn, everybody can share, everybody can add. And so while we started in Southeastern Wisconsin and then it began to spread up into the Minnesota and the Twin Cities area. And then of course down in at Westside in, in Omaha, and then now out into Pennsylvania and Indiana and a number of other places. But along the way, it has continued to be this idea that what really matters is student learning. Mm -hmm. That instruction is important, but it needs to be a resource for learning as opposed to instruction is what matters and it's up to the learner to learn. And I think that's sort of fundamental, the fundamental shift. And on the surface, that seems really simple. Uh, (laughs) But in practice, it's a major shift. I mean, the idea goes from what lesson does the curriculum say I should prepare to really asking the question seriously, what are my learners ready to learn? How can I best engage them? How can I bring them into that conversation in ways that builds their capacity, their expertise? So it's not easier, uh, but I will argue for most everyone I know involved in this work, it is so much more satisfying and so much more impactful that it's sustainable. Mm-hmm. And so, I know you're going to say I, I have found it to be so rewarding, uh, and yeah. the opportunity to develop meaningful relationships with students that you're able to uh, yes. have conversations about where they are in their learning process and the refinements they're making to those strategies. I think has been it's just something that, like every teacher shows up every day wanting to be about. And right. I, I would echo too your comments there, where you're saying it is a little uncomfortable uh, at times. Yes. I yep. Uh, he wasn't talking about personalized learning, but I heard Matt Miller uh, from Ditch That Textbook speak at a conference, uh, the Q Con- Spring Conference last year, and he talked about how 
safe uh, or how comfortable it can be as an educator for you to stand at the front yeah. uh, and speak for 15 minutes because you know exactly yeah. what you're going to say. And then you yes. give them a single you know, activity that for 20 minutes you know all the answers to. Yep. <laughs> and yep. exactly. 35 minutes in, you really can, you know, as long as you have classroom management down um, and, and yeah. get a good sequence, uh, it's, it can feel really comfortable. Uh, yes. And, yep. That breaking that routine to personalize is uh, um, something that's a little bit easier said than done, but but definitely rewarding to get back to. Yeah, it. it's a little bit like sort of trading the sense of control for an understanding that you're influencing, and that's, like that you know it's a sort of what you described as a sort of traditional classroom. The idea is for the educator, the teacher, to control the process mm-hmm. in a in a personalized or learning centered environment. It's really, how do I influence? How do I nudge? How do I provoke learning? And what does that mean for, for my role? Always focused on sort of how, how can I help learning occur and build the skill set necessary for this student to become increasingly independent in their learning. So we move from the sort of control dependence environment into one that's much more influential and growth evoking. Mm-hmm. And I know I that you've uh, talked with me and you can kind of elaborate on this too about the idea of agency. And I really feel that's one piece that uh, yeah. I've gleaned a lot from your work as being the kind of central focus of the movement to personalized learning. And, and as you've even broken that down, I know into its component parts uh, with ownership being a big piece. Of that. I think that that's mm-hmm. kind of the linchpin from moving from a teacher centered practice to learner centered practice is that the learners have to be willing to take on that ownership. Um, And there's a reluctance to that. I think sometimes that that, that plays into it, but uh, you're Mm -hmm. right with the goal being autonomy and agency. um, Yeah, I'm with you. So so in some ways, Andrew, what you just said, it strikes me that the sort of prepared lesson and path is comfortable for the teacher. It's also comfortable for the learner Mm -hmm. because it's like someone else has to make all the decisions. Someone has to, and all I'm doing is following directions. In an environment that's learning or learner-centered, now the learner is invited in to participate in those decisions, to take responsibility or share responsibility in the work. And so for some students who find a lot of comfort in the sort of order and structure of the old system, it takes a little while to make the transition. Having said that, it is human nature to want to be able to control, to have influence, and to make decisions, Mm -hmm. some level of autonomy. And so once students are through that process, the same, way, the same sense sort of that as educators make it through, suddenly now the relationship is different. Absolutely. This is one where as an educator, I am your best advocate as a learner. That is, my only job here is for you to be successful. And while we have expectations and there are standards, my job is to help you get there, not to put it out there and leave it solely as something you've got to deal with by yourself. Or you've got to be ready when I'm ready to teach. So, <laughs> right. yeah, it's exciting. <laughs> it is, isn't it? You know, for me, it was exciting. I think to give a little bit of our backstory, um, <clears throat> I, uh, for about four years in Kansas City, uh, had kind of messed around with this differentiation plus pace plus yep. learning space yep. thing that I didn't really know what to call or figure out. And uh, uh, when you came to speak at Westside, um, we had a six-day training that some of our teachers, I was fortunate to be one of the, yeah. that cohort yeah. that got a chance to learn from me about what is personalized learning and getting a sense of the idea of, of how to saturate the learning experience with choice. Uh, and that really, uh, in a lot of ways, yeah, just 
I don't know, kind of sparked a, an interest um, in this for me. And so I, I want to say thanks for that. And I think it's <laughs> a the podcast. And because uh, a lot of the things I've had a chance to do over the last five years have really grown out of our early conversations yeah. there. And um, how have you sort of seen kind of this work grow? You know, you started kind of with 2010 there, but I mean, more recently, yeah. even over the last sure. three years or so, uh, what's, uh, what's kind of been the most notable change from when you started? Yeah. So, um, yeah, thanks. We sort of, we're off in another conversation. That's a good one too. Um, mm -hmm. What I found in the last, particularly the last two to three years, and even more, it seems to accelerate every day. And that is that people are beginning to grasp the sort of concept that this isn't just a set of strategies. It's a way of thinking about the way we engage learners. And it's a, a different way of engaging learners that opens up so many possibilities. So, if you think about how movements emerge, often what happens is you have little nodes of spark, if you will, and then they begin to connect. And I would argue the connection with Westside is, is part of that whole making connections that starts to build a sense of identity. That's sort of what is this work we're doing? Why is it important? Why is it urgent? And then those connections begin to spark other connections that ultimately, I think, launches the movement. And I would, I would argue the movement has launched. It's still gaining momentum, and there's a long sure. way to go. But I think about the conference in Westside this spring. That's really yeah. part of that movement. It's really uh, five years ago when you began. In fact, I remember, Andrew, the first morning, one of the activities we did was to have people define personalized learning. And there were people who, it's like, I don't even know what the term is, let alone what the practice is. Sure. And you've grown from that to across your school district, people engaged in the work at every level, I think, mm -hmm. and probably about every, across every subject, every discipline. And so the five-year journey in Westside, I think, is a great model to sort of show what can happen within organizations. But you're also now reaching out to other school districts in the region and saying, hey, here's something you may want to be you may want to look at, or you may be getting questions from other districts saying, what's going on over West Side? Yeah. And we'd like to learn more about it. And so, I mean, I think that's really the, when you say what's happening in the last two or three years, I think that's a really reinforcing piece. There's, but there's another side to that's, I think, driving the work even faster and the influence will be even greater. And that is uh, the growing research about how the workplace for which we're preparing today's learners is so far different from that of their parents. Mm -hmm. um, and in many ways, it parallels the shift you and I have just been talking about in that when most of today's learners' grandparents went through school, the idea was learn how to comply, learn how to follow rules, learn how to do what you're told. Because most jobs were confined to those sort of core tasks. Today, if there's a task that someone can be trained to do that's repetitive in nature and just requires supervision, most people are asking if technology can do that or if they sure. can farm it out. And so today, in fact, there's just an interesting, I read across this um, study over the weekend. About two years ago, researchers at Harvard and Princeton paired up to look at sort of what's happening in what they called alternative work. What they mean by that is out of the outside of the traditional, you're hired to do a job, you go every day, you do the job, you are employed as long as there's work to do, into more freelance or 
uh, contracted work where you're hired to do a project or temporary work on call. And they wanted to, they were, their sense was that the workplace is changing and that needs, to, that needs to be given attention. Well, what they discovered was that between 2005 and 2015, so just that decade, 94% of net employment growth was in the areas I just described. The growth is not happening in the, you're hired and you now, I work for X company and I'm there for 10 years or my entire career. That's not where the growth is. Mm -hmm. But the sort of instruction-driven system is a design that's based on the assumption that work will be largely, you're told what to do, you're expected to do it, and a supervisor or someone will tell you what to do. In the, in the roles I just discussed, particularly freelance and contracted, now the worker actually determines the work right. and presents that work to a client. Quality in that, in that environment needs to be the responsibility of the worker, not the supervisor. Mm -hmm. And learning needs to be identified and engaged in by the, by the worker, not the client. In fact, if you've not engaged in the work, the client's probably not going to be interested in your, what you have to offer. Sure. And so the sort of learner-centered approach begins to build that skill set in learners that they're not always defaulting to an adult. They're not always waiting for someone to define how to solve the problem. In fact, in many cases, they're figuring out what the problem is and then figuring out mm -hmm. how to solve it. So that's a trend, Andrew, that I think we're going to see accelerate as people start to really get their heads around what's going on in the future workplace and what do we need to do to prepare today's learners to be successful there? Well, and, and as I'm listening to you and, and I have had conversations around this and sort of know my own process with it, but I'll, I'll kind of maybe ask you to uh, entertain the thought at least. There's going to be some practitioners out there listening to say that all sounds great, but I still have standards and indicators and things. So where, yes. where, do, these, where do those meet? Uh, this new learner-centered yep. approach where students are the ones potentially, uh, you know, that are creating these questions and finding yep. unique ways to solve them. Sure. Uh, well, first of all, you're right. There will continue to be standards. There will continue to be assessments. There will be yes. many of the elements of the traditional system will remain in place. Having said that, if I'm a freelance or a contract worker, the clients I have have expectations. They have standards. Sure. I need to understand what they are, how to break them down in ways that I can meet them, and be able to prove that I have. Mm -hmm. And so the world isn't going to be standard free. And helping, <laughs> right. learners, and helping learners understand how to get their heads around them, to understand what the implications of them are, and how to design work, design their work, their effort, in ways that allow them to meet those standards is really important. And so for me, that's not a misalignment. For us to say to students, there are no standards and you can learn whatever you want all day isn't responsible. Right. However, we can give them space within the structure, within the design, to be able to be creative while still understanding the system within which they're operating and the standards for which they're responsible. Mm -hmm. But the difference is they're figuring out how to get there with our support, our counseling, our guidance, as opposed to our saying, here's the standard, here's how you get there. This is the path you must take to learning. Right. And so I think you're absolutely right. And I think it's a very valid question. In fact, it's a really important question. Mm -hmm. 
So thanks for tackling that. Yeah, because I know that there's got, as people listen in, I'm sure that's something. And it's like you said, it's a, a challenging one, but it's one that um, is worth uh, thinking about. And as you were talking, it reminded me of a, a quote that uh, sort of changed my perception of things um, in those first few days where I got a chance to kind of hear you present was that there, you know, there's going to be certain load bearing walls that you have to build your innovative, personalized design around. And, you know, those aren't necessarily reasons not to pursue the practices or do what's right. in, uh, you know, ultimately, but we believe this work to be in the best interest of students. But yes. that, uh, that, that's something that has stuck with me that <laughs> I, I appreciate. And so if you need a, a visual out there, if you're listening to this, that's, good, yeah. that's been a good one. It's been a good one. You know, uh, Andrew, I, that just sparks for me a, a, a thought around this. And that is, so people are often a little reluctant to get started. Mm-hmm. But there's like, there's like a universal principle, certainly in education, maybe in life, but certainly in education. And that is, if the work you're doing is focused on what's best for learners and how learners can be successful, even if you make a mistake, everyone's quick to forgive, including students, by the way. I would agree. If you're working hard, and so some people say, well, I'm not going to be perfect, and maybe I'm going to make mistakes. Just know that if your focus is on what's best for learners and how to develop their capacity and learners know that you have their best interest in mind, forgiving is not a problem. Embarrassment is not a problem. In fact, it's a great opportunity to demonstrate learning and vulnerability and all the things we want to develop in the learners we work with. So it's not something to, to, you know, to, to be reluctant to get in. Try it. Try some small things. And what's amazing often is that students are the first to come to your aid to help you be successful. That's, uh, I would advocate for the same because I found in my own practices that not all, but some of my highest flyers in the classroom who had, are excellent at the game of school when given a choice within a personalized environment really just chose the traditional because it was safe yes. uh, and, and were yeah. almost frustrated with personalized learning because it was giving just even giving them options that they weren't used to it, to having and so that was changing the rules and it was passing responsibility that they didn't want to necessarily <laughs> take ownership of because it wasn't as easy and yes uh, and so i think it is important that as educators if we're going to ask them to to do these things and, and we're shifting our practices to make the opportunities for them to do these things available uh that we'd be okay yeah with forgiving ourselves okay. and also yeah. modeling um, those same expectations through yeah. the work that we're doing. Yes. So uh, I know we kind of referenced a little bit ago, we are going to have our um, Westside Personalized Summit this summer on uh, May 29th and 30th. Uh, I'm really excited that it's an event that's funded uh, by the Nebraska Department of Education through the grant that we received. And so it's $75 for two days. That's cool. lunch and breakfast items included. And we have great speakers <laughs> like yourself and several others that are going to be there. Um, and so if anyone is interested in attending and they're going to go to some of your sessions, uh, what are, what are some things you're thinking about talking sure. about or, or what kind of a little preview, I guess, maybe yeah. uh, on what they might expect. Well, I'm excited too, uh, Andrew. I think it's going to be a really fun event and sort of uh, knowing a little bit about the region. I think there, there will be a place for people who are just getting started and people that are well down the road. Yeah. In fact, uh, the things I'll be talking about actually cover both of those. One of the sessions I'm going to do is really just this idea that we have before us the greatest opportunity in at least the last hundred years to change the way we engage young people in learning and build their learning capacity. That is this a new era possibility for us 
And it, not only is it a possibility, but it's also, it's an urgent need. And mm -hmm. so I want to sort of lay out for people sort of, how might we think about this work? And what are some things we can do to take advantage of what technology has to offer, what learning sciences have to offer, to transform the learning experience in ways that prepare students for a future that's rapidly changing, is unpredictable. So that's uh, one piece of it that's a little bit more um, at a maybe a 5,000 foot level to think sure. about how we, how we can engage in change. And then I'll be doing two other sessions, both of which are really sort of at ground level. One of them is sort of just based on the understanding that in a change process, it's really attractive to look at what we're learning, what we're gaining. But reality is for change to stick and be sustainable, we also have to think about what we're leaving behind. Because most everybody in our business already has a full-time job. In fact, may be stressed with how much they have. If we take on new practices without letting go of anything, we now add to our stress and make it more difficult for us to really change. And when the pressure comes, we tend to revert back to where we were. So this session is really to help people begin to think about, yes, what I'm going to embrace, but also what am I going to abandon? And there are clear legacy practices and ways of engaging learners that we no longer have to deal with that can create time for us to be able to fill in, add the kinds of things we want. So that one session will be around that's very practical on the ground, I think would be useful for people who are at least getting started or thinking about getting started or maybe a little ways down the road. Mm -hmm. And there, by the way, it will be a highly interactive session. So we'll also be pulling from people who are there what they're learning about that, the change process. Um, and then the other um, is really somewhat related, and that is, uh, particularly early in this work, they're like uh, routines, small pieces, little tips, things that you can use to create time to make the transition easier. Often early on, and it's, and it's natural, we're learning a new skill, it takes longer and it feels like it's a lot more work. So this is a, a session to sort of, it's the tips, the shortcuts, the kinds of things you can do to make learner-centered learning work for you every day. Uh, and it comes out of experiences and observations and sharing from people who are doing the work. And I'm thinking about this one, uh, Andrew actually is doing a little crowdsourcing. Oh, cool. And that is to sort of lay out a, a, an array of possibilities that's probably longer than the time we have available and let the people that are there decide what we talk about. So mm -hmm. to the extent we can do a little bit more personalizing, at least here to do to move that in the direction at least to crowdsource so that the people who are there decide what's shared those all sound great i'm gonna be there and hanging out and i uh yeah. you know exactly right with all the as people get started uh and i guess this is maybe just some, some things i've gleaned from the podcast uh i typically end the podcast asking our uh, you know, practitioners like, hey, you know, so what, what would you recommend to people that are getting started having like gone through the experience that you went through? There's really about two things that come up most frequently. And one is that you, you start, they'll say you start small, or you start, you know, with, it, it inevitably, they'll word it differently, but it becomes about starting where you're comfortable with the amount of risk you're comfortable taking. And it's interesting too now that you know I've had a chance to work K-12 for multiple years, and this has been something that our district's been involved in for five years. Uh, to, to watch 
individuals and teams grow in their practices and that it's about the long game instead of the short game and that yeah. there's never uh, a 100% fully personalized <laughs> experience all the time. There's always an opportunity <laughs> right. to grow yeah. and tinker and change and revise, which we know to be true about our profession, right? We're not going to yeah. no magic yeah. bullet that you're just going to be able to implement a system. I mean, if that existed, we'd already be doing it. Yeah. And the other piece would be too that there is a lot of front-end work at times, uh, particularly I feel like if you're going to start with designing an entire unit to begin with, but it's, it's interesting how many of them advocate for uh, following up with that because it, the front-end work really, once the unit gets started, alleviates right. a lot of the day-to-day. -day, uh, and so it's just sort of a trade-off in the, uh, where you spend that time. And it's not necessarily that it's more work. It just sort of becomes more, I'll maybe just say more intentionality on the front-end, which sure. I think makes for better practice regardless of what type of uh, thing you're trying to do is, is when you're very thoughtful and intentional before you get started with something, it inevitably comes up, uh, yep. comes out being a better product. Yes. Well, and, and as you get into it, learners help with the load. It's the piece that Absolutely. people often don't realize in this work is that learners help share the load. So the work I used to have to do all alone, learners are helping me with. So it mm -hmm. does even out. Uh, but I probably, I give you two others to just think about. Sure. Starting out, but also down the road, and that is when you feel stuck and you don't know what to do, one really good strategy is to try and see the problem or the issue or the situation through the eyes of learners. So you just stop and say, okay, how are my learners seeing what I'm about to do? If I'm struggling, it's not working, sometimes you just stop and ask learners, what are you seeing and what's standing in the way? But to think about, problems, issues, approaches through the eyes of learners, as opposed to starting with the pacing guide or even the curriculum. I mean, those are important elements and I'm not, I don't mean to discount them, but what's most important is the learner's experience. So I would say that would be one. And, mm -hmm. the, and the second is to always keep in mind that our real work is to build learners. Learning is contributing to the path. The fact that, that students can memorize is fine. Ultimately, what we want them to know is when do I memorize? When do I need to practice? When do I need to analyze? But to be, um, and this is sort of my latest, agile learners. Mm -hmm. To be really agile, to understand when I need to take a new approach or when I need a new strategy or when it is I just need to stay with it because it will eventually come. But our job is to develop learners, not just have them accumulate knowledge of content. Uh, and I, I love that you go to those places because I sometimes feel, particularly once people have gotten started with the work, that they get mired in the desire to implement more choices. <laughs> right. And while I, I think that's great, I actually would advocate yeah, you, know, you, you would like yeah, to provide them with good. more and more yeah. choices, but if agency's not the reason behind it, like you said, right. from the learner's experience, if these choices aren't meaningful in developing a process that makes me more agile, right. all of a sudden, you know, it's, it just becomes choice for the sake of choice. And, and I right. think it's, a, it's not a bad practice. It's just a missed opportunity to seize yes. it for what it really has the potential to do for moving uh, yep. the learning process along. Yep. Well, and choice for choice sake over time becomes tiresome for learners. Mm -hmm. That choice stays fresh, stays meaningful when choices are about things that matter. So sort of incidental choices that are 
conjured up just to say kids are making choices. Before long, kids say, I don't really want to make a choice because it's not important to me. Right. But as long as choices have to do with things that are important, that are meaningful to learners, uh, now choices matter mm-hmm. because choices are ways to develop agency, a sense of efficacy, and a sense of ownership. And it's a great place to start the journey to having students take increasing responsibility, including setting their own goals for their learning. Absolutely. And being active participants in developing their learning path. So choices are important there too because they're, an, they're often an entry. They're a gateway, if you will, mm-hmm. to, to this, this sort of sense of building learner capacity and a sense of ownership within the learner him or herself. I uh, couldn't agree more. I feel like when I get a chance to speak and, and share with educators, uh, that's certainly uh, the approach that, that I've cert- you know, learned from our conversations and conversations with educators, and I think that's where it's at. Um, and gosh, I feel like we could talk all day. I feel like we've got a brief conversation. We're already kind of nearing the end of our, uh, our time, and so if there's any sort of parting words that you'd kind of like to leave, uh, you know, a lot of our listeners are – classroom teachers who are yeah. thinking about, you know, how to go about this work in their classroom. And so what might you say to yeah. someone who's uh, curious or interested or, yeah, yeah I guess parting uh, words well, of advice. You'd probably go back to some things we talked about. One is don't be afraid to try. Mm-hmm. That is just because you're not confident doesn't mean you can't and that it won't matter. So try it. The second is when you make mistakes, forgive yourself. And third is understand that your learners are as much a resource to their learning as they are an object of your teaching. Wow. I love all those pieces, especially that last one. That's great. <laughs> that's a, that, all of those require a flexible mindset. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> uh, to, great. Uh, to but they're also natural. I mean, it's interesting. If you take away the sort of superstructure of our traditional system, what I just described are really natural things that happen around learning in life. Um, outside, in fact, outside of school, what I just described are, that's what, that's how students learn. They're accustomed to that. Well, uh, I appreciate you taking uh, a little bit of time today so, to share some words of wisdom and some insights uh-huh. Thanks for the, of the conference. I, uh, I cannot wait for May to have so many just great people in house to, to learn from. And, uh, you know, I certainly would want to reiterate again, thank you. Thanks to you, um, right. on a personal level for all that you've done to, kind of pushed my thinking around this work and it's um it's just been a lot of fun and so um i uh, have appreciated our collaboration greatly it's been my honor and pleasure to be a part of it it's been a it's a great journey you guys are on and it's fun to watch awesome well thank you so much jim and uh hopefully we'll talk to you again soon see you in a few months well that's a wrap on another great episode for more information or to contact us directly you can email our team at personalized.learning at westside66.net As always, thanks for tuning in and learning from the Westside Personalized Podcast.